Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. It's Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today is episode 70, and we're talking about atrial septal defects in infants. And if you're thinking, infants, what? We've never talked about infants on this show before. You're right. I am really working hard at expanding the breadth of knowledge that I will share with you guys. So we'll be talking more about mental health, PEDS, OB, on top of all the adult med surge stuff that you've come to know and love. So atrial septal defects in infants is our topic for today. And really one of the most interesting things that I found in my pediatric course in nursing school was the pathophysiology, some really interesting pathophysiology, and the congenital heart defects are probably the most interesting. So an atrial septal defect is simply an opening in the septum between the left and the right atria. When you're learning about cardiac abnormalities, the great thing about them is that you can usually suss out what's going on just by thinking about the normal cardiac physiology. So thinking about how blood flows through the heart. So if you have that nailed down really well, you're going to be able to think through a whole bunch of cardiac defects so that you're not just memorizing them, you're actually understanding them. So let's just review that really quickly. We've got blood coming in from the body, right, from systemic circulation through the inferior vena cava and the superior vena cava into the right atrium, and then it drops down into the right ventricle, gets pushed out into the lungs, comes back to the left atrium, down into the left ventricle, and then pressed with greater force out into the systemic circulation. So not even getting into the valves, we can still gather a lot of information from that. When you're learning about valve defects, make sure you put the valves into that flow as well. But I didn't want to get it all convoluted. We're just going right atrium, right ventricle, lungs, left atrium, left ventricle, systemic circulation. So when we look at that and we think about the pressures in the heart, which side of the heart is going to have higher pressures. Is it the right side of the heart that's pushing blood into the lungs? Or is it the left side of the heart that's pushing blood out into the entire body? So hopefully you said the left side of the heart has higher pressures. So you guys get a gold star. Very good job. So let's think about this 
Just picture it in your mind. So we have the heart and just picture the atria, okay? The left atria and the right atria. And there's a hole there between those two that should not be. So we've got our higher pressures on the left. Where's that blood going to go? If it's high pressure on the left and lower pressure on the right, we've got a pressure gradient. So blood's going to get pushed from the left side through that hole into the right atria. So on that left atrium, we have that oxygenated blood that just came from the lungs. It's all full of oxygen. We're ready to go. It's going back through that opening into the right side of the heart. And now that blood's mixing with the oxygen-poor blood and now we've got a higher volume of blood in the right atrium than we normally would have, and that's pushed back to the lungs. So what happens to the lungs in this situation? The lungs are going to get increased pulmonary blood flow as well as increased pulmonary pressures. So over time, with this increased pulmonary pressure, that patient can end up with pulmonary edema and congestive heart failure. So this increased pulmonary blood flow is also going to put the patient at risk for the development of emboli. But note, if that complication occurs, it's typically much further down the road, and that would be if the defect was left untreated and open for many years. So we're talking about infants with their atrial septal defects. What would be the signs that a baby has one of these? So a lot of times, they don't produce any symptoms. If they're small, they're not going to cause a lot of problems for baby, wouldn't even notice. But large ones can cause significant trouble. So if the baby tires with feeding consistently, that can be signs of an atrial septal defect. Baby getting frequent respiratory infections. Or you listen to baby's little heart and you can hear a murmur. You can hear that abnormal blood flow and baby having uh, an increased respiratory rate, tachypnea. Maybe that increased pulmonary pressure, pulmonary edema is causing them to need to breathe faster to meet their oxygen demands so they have tachypnea. So those are some signs that a baby might have um, a, a, an ASD that's significant enough to cause symptoms. So how are we going to diagnose this little guy? So a chest x-ray would show if the heart were enlarged from all of this, from the congestive heart failure, from those increased pressures on the right side of the heart, or any pulmonary changes. Those are going to be visible on a chest x-ray, simple diagnostic exam. Um, an echocardiogram, more of a specialized exam that's basically an ultrasound of the heart. And an echocardiogram, you may just hear it called an echo, shows the blood flow through the heart. And a really cool way that we do this is through a bubble study, is like the nickname for it. Technically, I think it's called an agitated saline study, but this will help show us very clearly if there's an opening in the heart where there should not be an opening. So how we do this is there, the echo technician is there and they're doing their ultrasound and taking pictures of the heart and the nurse, that's you, you're going to take some sterile, uh, some saline and you basically take, um, 
It's easier to see it in pictures. I'll try to describe it, but you're going to attach it to a three-way stopcock. And on one side, you've got, so it's a three-way, right? So on one side, you've got your saline syringe. On the other side, you've got an empty syringe and the plunger is pressed almost all the way down, about a mill of air, okay? And then on the third side of that three-way stopcock is it's going into the patient, okay? And if you haven't had a lot of experience with stopcocks, you will, especially in critical care, but basically they have a little piece that you turn to either open or block the flow depending on where you want it to go. So with the stopcock turned off to the patient, so now you're if you push down on your saline syringe, the only place that the saline can go is to that empty syringe that had just a little bit of air in it. So you send it back and forth between these two syringes and that's the agitation. And that little mill of air that you allowed in your empty syringe is going to disperse into millions of tiny little bubbles in your agitated saline. So when the echo technician is ready, they'll let you know when it's time to instill that agitated saline. At that point, you turn the stopcock open to the patient, off to the empty side, and you plunge the agitated bubble saline into the patient. And then on the echo... On that ultrasound, you can see those bubbles going where they shouldn't be. And it's just a real easy way for them to see that there is a defect in the heart. So it's very cool. I will tell you that it takes a heck of a lot more hand strength than you think it would. And if you have really small hands, it would be really hard to do. Um, I was dealing with some inflammatory arthritis for a while. And there was no way I was able to do a bubble study. I had to get uh, a friend of mine to do the agitation for me because my hands just couldn't do it. But anyway, if you want to see it, if that mental picture I painted did not work for you, go to the website straightanursingstudent.com and look at the blog post associated with this topic. And there's a link to a YouTube video there that shows how the how it all works. And then another diagnostic tool for an atrial septal defect is cardiac catheterization and that uses contrast dye and they can get really detailed pictures of the anatomy and any physiological abnormalities of the heart that way. So we've got a little baby who's got tachypnea, maybe got a little murmur, really getting exhausted with feeding and we've diagnosed their ASD, their atrial septal defect. So now we want to treat it, and surgery can be done to correct that defect. They just go in and place a little patch over that opening. Um, that can be done via a cardiac catheter. I can never say this word. That's another word, you guys, that I can't say. Cardiac catheterization procedure, which means they're going in through a large uh, uh, vessel in the, like, usually at the femoral site and going all the way up to the heart, which means we don't have to open the chest, but it can be done through an open chest procedure. 
Um, obviously we want to be as minimally invasive as possible, but it really just depends on the, the defect and the size of the defect. And then baby may get medications to treat their symptoms. So mainly the symptom that they have is a fluid volume, a volume overload symptom. So diuretics would be used to get the fluid off of the lungs. So there you have it. That's a quick little overview of atrial septal defects in infants. And you guys may have noticed that a few of our podcast episodes lately have been a little on the shorter side, and that is simply because I am also in school. Many of you commented and reached out to me and said you wished I would make podcasts more frequently, and the trouble was that I was in school and it was really hard. So my compromise with myself is to just hit on topics that I can cover maybe a little bit more efficiently like normally. If this was me not in school, I would have talked about ventricular septal defects in the same episode, but I'm going to be breaking things up a little bit just so that I can give you consistent things every week because you're probably really busy too. Maybe it's a little bit easier for me to get you shorter episodes right now while I'm in school and then at least you still get your straight A nursing podcast fix every week. So with that said, the next time we talk about pediatrics, we'll be talking about ventricular septal defects in that episode. And before I go, we're doing shout outs to people who rate and review on iTunes or Apple podcasts. And this one is from CT Summer 8. And CT Summer 8 writes, just started listening to these podcasts. These are great if you are understanding something in class. She really breaks it down for you to understand. Really helped me with electrolytes. Thank you. I look forward to listening to more. Thank you, CT Summer 8, for taking the time to rate and review. That means so much to me. I read every single one and I really take your comments to heart. So you may have mentioned that that reviewer mentioned my electrolytes episodes. So those are episodes 35, 37, and 38. If you really want to dive into electrolytes, check out those episodes. And then if you want some cheat sheets, I have them for sale on my website, straightanursingstudent.com. Covers electrolytes, what the signs are if they're low, what the signs are if they're high, what you're going to do about each situation, key roles the electrolytes play in the body so that you can really apply that to your care plans, to your clinical experiences, and probably answer a whole bunch of test questions based off that knowledge. And then it comes with a little badge card thing that you can print out and put in one of those badge card holders. So you have a quick reference in clinical about why you care about hypocalcemia or why should you care about hyperkalemia, like look real quick so that you can speak intelligently about your patients and keep your eyes out for things that could be going on with them. So again, those electrolytes cheat sheets are available at my website at straightanursingstudent.com as well as a whole bunch of other stuff and a blog post every week on topics that we're talking about here. So if you're more of a reader, you can get the information there. And what else is there? There's brain sheets. There's all kinds of stuff. So go over there, check it out. And then I will see you guys here next week. I don't have the topic figured out just yet, but come back anyway and we'll spend some time together. I look forward to it and I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.
This podcast is brought to you by StraightAnursingStudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.